Football is back, and right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football, with games being played nearly every day, and with Bet365's Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple's App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. It's another week and it's another Zonal Marking podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell. In the last few episodes, The Athletic's Michael Cox and I have chatted with various special guests about FC Barcelona. We've chatted Italian central midfield players. We've chatted Project Restart and Liverpool. What about this week, Michael Cox? What have we got lined up? We're talking about Manchester United. I think for the first time since we launched this podcast, I think we tend to try and talk about teams when they're doing well, just because I think often that's when they're more interesting tactically. It's taken a while for Manchester United to be consistently good this season, but I think we can say since the restart, They've uh, been one of the most impressive teams. And to discuss this inform Manchester United side, we have Laurie Whitwell, who covers United for The Athletic. Thank you for joining us and making a belated debut on this podcast, Laurie. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. You've been hard at work covering this 16-game unbeaten run on The Athletic site. There are a few other writers like Andy Mitten, uh, Daniel Taylor's written a piece about Manchester United and Jaden Sancho today. Michael's written a few pieces, but also covers all sorts of different topics, tactics and its trends. And also on site, you've got fantastic writers like Oliver Kay, uh, Rafa Honigstein, so many more. So if you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you're not a athletic subscriber, then you can become one today. And you will get a 30-day free trial to give it a good go before you move forward with your subscription if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. Let's get into Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's United. They went into lockdown in good form. They conceded just one goal in their previous five Premier League games. And they've added to that post-lockdown with, at the time of recording, three wins and a draw in the Premier League, as well as progression in the FA Cup. 16 unbeaten in all competitions, Michael. Are they the most impressive team you've seen since the restart? Yeah, I think they probably are. Certainly the most improved side, I'd say, compared to, uh, you know, their early season form in particular. I mean, I think you can look at those results and say they've beaten Sheffield United, Brighton, Bournemouth, Um, And then Norwich in the FA Cup, maybe not the most impressive opposition and only drew against Tottenham. But I mean, earlier in the season, we were saying that they were very good against the big sides and really their weakness was not breaking down the smaller sides. So I don't think we should be too sniffy about them, you know, really outplaying some some decent sides in Sheffield United and Brighton. They just look really good. I mean, fairly solid at the back, certainly more attacking options going forward than they had at the start of the season. So, yeah, I think they've been the pick of the side since the resumption. And... Can you tell me why 
from a tactical perspective, what sort of system has Solskjaer been using? What's been working so well? It probably stems from individuals. I think that's uh, that's the obvious thing. The addition of Bruno Fernandes has really transformed United. I'm struggling to recall another player who's who's so transformed a big Premier League club with his arrival to the extent that Fernandes has. Obviously, Pogba's come back from injury. Um, there's been a bit of a breakthrough, if you can call it that, for for Mason Greenwood, who um, you know was showing bits and pieces before the. The break, but now seems to be, you know, he's he's a regular in the side. And I think Solskjaer's done well as well to um, to create a system that lets those players thrive. Laurie, uh, we're going to get into individual players as we go through, but just your thoughts on, on the key reasons for this improvement in fortunes on the pitch for Manchester United. They won just four of their first 14 league games this season, and it's 11 in 19 since then. What do you put that down to? Yeah, it's difficult to look beyond the Bruno Fernandes impact because he was the guy that came in after that Burnley 2-0 defeat at Old Trafford um, in January that was a real toxic atmosphere and felt an incredibly low ebb and it felt that Solskjaer was you know under extreme scrutiny then so the transformation since then you know listen he's not the only person responsible for that but he has had that effect that has galvanised the team and, and just given them a lot more creative uh, options you know and the way that he plays the game as well the energy that he brings seems to be infectious I think Solskjaer's done really well in managing his, his team and he's looked at a system that actually does suit all his players and I think he's finally accepted that listen maybe just get those front five out there you've got Matic as the as the screen behind and let them play um, they, they seem to be understanding each other really well um, you can clearly see that there's been work on the training ground with certain moves I, I think just overall that the kind of positivity that he's had throughout his tenure rather than sort of tearing players down he's tried to build them up and I think that's ultimately borne fruit now Michael uh... Laurie just mentioned that in sort of systemic terms, it's Matic at the base of midfield and five in front. Can you run me through those five who have established themselves uh, and just a, a little brief overview of each of their roles and, and profiles on the pitch? At times it's been Matic sitting there on his own with Pogba and Fernandes ahead, as, as you would expect in a 4-3-3. But also in the defensive phase of play, it's often Pogba been alongside Matic in more of a 4-2-3-1 which has surprised me a little bit, but I think Fernandes is so comfortable in that number 10 role that it's, it's right to give him freedom to play there. I was down at uh, the Amex for the win over Brighton last Tuesday, and I was quite surprised by how often Fernandes was kind of drifting around to the flanks and really had license to go where he pleased. And I think the system obviously helps with that. I mean, going forward, obviously, Martial, Rashford and, and Greenwood, they got three very quick players. They've got two real goal scorers out wide, which I think is it feels like a different almost format of the side from when they had Daniel James there, who was obviously very quick, very good on the counter-attack. Maybe not a real natural goal scorer. He started very well in terms of goal scoring, but I'm not sure he's going to get 10 or 15 league goals a season, which you can easily imagine Greenwood doing. So they just seem to have more more goal scoring ability, I think is the main thing that they've added with the players coming into the side, that they have more attacking threat. And I think that means they've... Uh, yeah, had, had fewer problems breaking down deeper defences. And added an elite creator as well in Bruno Fernandes. Uh, Laurie, you will have covered the transfer in depth. I've no doubt that you will have written uh, a profile of Bruno Fernandes 
talking about how he might impact this United side. Are you going to claim that you saw this coming or are you surprised at the impact he's had? I, well, actually, my uh, sister's fellow's Portuguese. So when... Um, <laughs> I, when Great when this, contacts. Yeah, I know exactly. He was, he was, he was on to me all the time. He was like, oh, I don't... Even last summer he was saying, I don't know why they're not going for Bruno because the word back then was that he, was, he gave the ball away a bit too much. So I think his passing stats were like 70-something percent. When in actual fact, they're probably not that dissimilar right now. But what he's doing is he, he's, he's trying things that, okay, they might not come off all the time but it puts defences under extreme pressure and it then makes them make decisions that they might not ordinarily do if they think they've got a midfielder who's just going to play it safe all the time so there's been numerous examples of this and obviously he does have the quality to to create that killer pass in, in that one moment that then puts United on the attack so um, yeah he, th- this is the kind of stuff he was saying to me so I had a little bit of an inkling um, and I suppose listen when I, I did do a report when uh, Solskjaer and Mike Phelan went out to see him uh, in action at the very start of January they, they were very aware that they needed a creative midfielder coming in in January to to provide a massive boost to United because as it was it was extremely desperate stuff really and whether, whether they knew he, he could provide this kind of impact I don't know but I think they also looked at his leadership and Jack Lang actually was the guy that did a, a really great profile piece on, on Bruno and the fact that he was tearing into teammates there's that that, that uh, leaked WhatsApp uh, conversation where he's sort of absolutely slamming his teammates for not having high enough standards and I think that is something that he's actually brought to United straight away which maybe is a bit of a surprise because it's such a big club, you know, Manchester United. But he, there was a there was a gap there, I suppose, for somebody like that to come in with quality and that attitude um, that has that has spread out. And listen, so I'm sure some players give him a little bit back at times and, and sort of say, well, you know, how about you do this move or whatever. But I think that's only a good thing that you've got players kind of testing themselves in that way. You look at his impact and it's it's just sustained really. I, I, I thought maybe it was a, a sort of a little bit of a flash in the pan when he first came in and, and he'd settled down to to normal levels. But I think he's going to keep keep this up as well now. The, the way that he's playing, I sort of watching him quite closely away at Brighton uh, and Sheffield United, and, and his pressing is something that stands out as well. So it's not only that he is being the creative centre of a lot of what United do; he's also um, chasing you know opposition defences down and, and even dropping back into left back. I think at one point against Brighton, which was just astonishing the energy levels that he's got. So um, yeah, so I, I think all those indications are that he can he can actually sustain this. So you've been dealing with a, a very smug sister's partner in the last few months well, then he's actually a Benfica fan as well so oh, uh, no. yeah <laughs> everyone's a source isn't it um <laughs> look um Michael Paul Pogba's also been back involved more post restart he only started five games and and made two substitute appearances all season beforehand struggling with injuries uh, but recovered during the break in football how has he been eased back into things eased back into things is the right expression because for that Tottenham game um, he wasn't in the side. I think Laurie wrote about that a, a few uh, a few days beforehand. So we weren't as surprised as everyone else when Pogba was only on the bench. But I thought that was the right thing for, for Solskjaer to do because United had been playing very well just before the break. And, and that was with Fernandes in the number 10 role with McTominay and Fred just behind. And I think had, had Solskjaer immediately kind of ripped that up uh, and immediately brought Pogba back because he was the big name. Um, I think that would have said almost said something about his his priorities and how he views players. And I think it was right that, or I think it went well for United that he was almost forced to bring on Pogba to save that game. Pogba then played very well. And then he had license to start him for the next game. And of course, he'll remain in the side. But I think it was right that Pogba had to play his way into the side because actually that combination of of McTominay and and, uh, Fred was working very well. Um, Obviously, there's been a slight change in 
in what they need from the deep midfield role with just one midfielder behind Pogba and um, and Fernandez, and now Matic has come in. But yeah, I think the way that that turned out worked pretty well for Solskjaer. Laurie, is is how Solskjaer has de- dealt with what's been a tricky situation with, with Pogba this season, a lot of hand-wringing uh, inside United, but also playing out in the press at times as well. Is this another example of Solskjaer being you know, a real net positive when it comes to the man-management side of, 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 the, of the game and, and management and how he has managed this group of players? I think so, because, I mean, Solskjaer isn't afraid to um, criticise players when he feels that they haven't put effort in. You know, you look back at that Everton game uh, last season when they lost 4-0 and, and he was furious, really, with, with that kind of level of performance. And, you know, he acted, you know, Romelu Lukaku went, Alexis Sanchez went. With Pogba, it's always felt a slightly different case because I think ultimately Solskjaer knows that he's well, he's United's world class player. He always has been, really. But also that if you if you can show him some love and provide a team that is full of quality and creativity, then actually Pogba might find freedom in that. You know, he's only ever known Manchester United under Jose Mourinho since he, he returned to the club. So it's never quite been the circumstances I don't think that he would perhaps enjoy. Solskjaer's tried to create that. He's, he's never, you know, criticised him in public. There was some frustration behind the scenes over this ankle injury. But listen, he's, he's back now and he's playing extremely well. And I, I, I agree, I think Michael expressed it perfectly in terms of that Spurs game in, in what Solskjaer was thinking, you know, to, to not to, to sort of keep him on the bench, you know, fit, fitness wise, but also what it, the kind of message that it sent out to his, his players that had done so well whilst Pogba was away. But clearly you can't keep a player like that out if they are performing well and, and putting the, the energy in. And, and Michael's right as well. Pogba has shown some really good defensive work um, in his games as well. So it's not even like he's, um, you know, just on the edge of the box and, and trying things and, and, you know, being that kind of force. He, he's, he's doing the other side of the game as well. And I think he's really, really benefited from the impact of Bruno Fernandes in the fact that he is not actually now the guy that we're all talking about every single week. He's, he's not the one that we're looking to, to, to do something. He, he's kind of got a bit more space to breathe and I think that's really important. And, and as you say, credit to Solskjaer for managing to get that into the situation. Michael, you wrote about the midfield player with the most defensive responsibility. That's Nemanja Matic. Why has he been so important for this United side and their good form post-lockdown? Yeah, in that game, uh, Brighton, I mentioned, I went down to last week. My job there was just to watch Matic for 90 minutes. And often when you do that, the player has a bit of an average game and you come away feeling like, one, you haven't got a great piece and two, you haven't really seen what's been happening with every everyone else on the pitch. But Matic was outstanding that day. I thought he was the best player on the pitch. Why has he been so important? I think his positional discipline is, is really crucial in that otherwise attacking midfield. He's been dropping a lot into defence when United have the ball, becoming a third centre-back, which in turn has led to Shaw and Wambasaka pushing on and and some of the combination play down the flanks, I think, has been really useful. Maybe most importantly, he's been really good at playing penetrative passes into Bruno Fernandes, who, I mean, has excelled in almost every aspect of the game. But the thing that's most impressed me about Fernandes is how good he is at receiving passes between the lines, often with his back to goal on the half turn. He just seems able to kind of ease onto the ball and almost control it without actually touching it, if that makes sense, just letting himself move into the path of the ball. And, and Matic has been really crucial for those just clever 15, 20-yard passes, not necessarily spectacular balls, not massive crossfield balls, but just really kind of neat, tidy, 
uh, balls that eliminate the opposition midfield. And there was also a brilliant pass he played out to was it Greenwood, Mason Greenwood for the uh, yeah. yeah for the um, for the Fernandez goal, which Laurie wrote a good article about, kind of uh, comparing it to past Manchester United counter-attacking goals. And yeah, it, it, he's just I think really been the maybe the surprise winner of the changing system. There, there were other players in contention for that. McTominay and Fred were doing well, as I say, before the break. But Matic has turned out, it just seems to be a really good partner for those two. Laurie, uh, Matic was certainly a Mourinho favourite. And therefore, I, I did wonder whether um, he, he might be sort of cast aside by Solskjaer. But clearly anything but. He's just signed a, a new three-year deal, which raised a few eyebrows given his age. Did, did that come out of the blue for you? Or was that something you were expecting? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm allowed to toot my own horn a little bit here. Um, <laughs> I, I wrote back in March when uh, United triggered his one-year extension. your that... brother's partner <laughs> gave you the heads up about this one it, from I, Serbia. I can't... I can't, yeah, I can't quite remember the, the family relation, but I'm sure there was something there that uh, gave me the nudge. But um, yeah, I mean, listen, they they were in talks March sort of time about the, the, the triggered extension for for one year that they already had written into the previous contract, and and then this was a kind of let's actually extend it a bit further because you are producing some really good performances. There was a you know a way to Man City in the, in the Carabao Cup where he scored, it was it was great there, and he'd kind of put in a consistent level of performances in the time that he'd played. So I always thought that an extension was on the cards I must admit to 2023 was a bit of a surprise I thought maybe another year extension given he's 32 I think next month um, so obviously he'll be 34 by the time of this contract expiry but I suppose he is a player that has won the Premier League twice I think so he's got that experience that winning experience that not a lot of players in, in United squad have got anymore and the way that he's playing you know you, you think he could clearly keep going for a while yeah and you know around the squad around the place he's, he's a good presence there was a time certainly in January you know or a, a couple of months before that where it looked like he was going to go even on a free MLS teams were, were looking at him and I think that was actually quite close uh, at one point and such circumstances sort of brought that to a premature end and, and so he was in the team basically you know I think there was injuries to Scott McTominay Paul Pogba so he kind of played out a necessity so it's it's funny how these things work Solskjaer's always rated him as a, as a player but I think he perhaps thought maybe it was time to to move him on so uh, but yeah he's here for another uh, sort of three years now and I, I can see that will yeah and ultimately he'll you know, perhaps will he finish his career at United? It, it could well happen, couldn't it? So, um, yeah, but I think at the moment it's a, it's a nice balance that they've got. And, and as Michael's saying, I, I think, you know, you've got the options there of Scott and Scott McTominay and, and Fred to, to come back in. And, and Solskjaer was talking this morning, actually, a little bit about the uh, relationship between McTominay and Matic and how they can, you know, bounce off each other a little bit. I'm sure McTominay can pick up bits from Matic in terms of that positional discipline. Because McTominay, I, I really rate as a player. He obviously did that kind of role when he first came in under Marine. Um, but he just has a natural energy you know he's just we've seen all those 10k 5k times that he's been posting on Instagram it is incredible speed that he can have over uh, long distances so he likes to get forward and, and and you know up and down the pitch but this current role that Matic has got is a bit more disciplined than that so maybe that's something he he can add to his game a little bit more Michael I I'd be keen to touch on something you mentioned when discussing Matic's role, and, and that's him dropping inside the centre-backs in possession. Uh, and that sort of pattern of play that we recognise from other top teams in the Premier League, that the likes of Liverpool and Manchester United do a lot with a, de- a defensive midfield player dropping in and the, the full-backs becoming wing-backs high and wide up the pitch, stretching the play. Do Manchester United have the full-backs or wing-backs, if you will, to suit that system, to really get the best out of the wide fullbacks going forward as well. 
I think they still need to prove themselves in that respect. Personally, I've been impressed by Wan-Bissaka. I think he came to United as with a reputation of someone who's really good defensively, but not so talented going forward. I always thought that was a little bit harsh just because he was playing for Crystal Palace. It was a Roy Hodgson side. He didn't get that many opportunities to go forward. He didn't get that much experience in certain situations. But you look at his contributions this year, he's, he's putting some really good crosses. He's, he's got a little bit of trickery on the ball. Um, I think he can pretty much become the right winger when needed. And I think he will probably get better in that regard. Luke Shaw, I mean, is... Um, I must admit, I've never been entirely convinced by Luke Shaw. I think sometimes he lacks the energy to really play as an attacking fullback and then get back and do his defensive work as well. I personally wouldn't be surprised if United looked to strengthen that position at some point in the next couple of transfer windows. But yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a, a huge problem for United. I do think they have good players um, in those positions. And I've been impressed by Brandon Williams as well when he's come in. Often that's been with Shaw playing as the left-sided centre-back, where I think he's done really well. So if they want to play with a, a more permanent back three, then they do have the options to do that. You also wrote not that long ago that you'd like to see Dan James played in a, in a wing-back role. Was that just you running out of ideas or are you sticking by that? <laughs> <laughs> Great question, Ali. No, I mean... <laughs> I thought they'd... I mean, United had done really well in those big games with a three-man defence. So I was a little bit surprised Solskjaer didn't do that in, uh, you know, in games they were struggling in at home to weaker sides. And I guess part of the problem with doing that was was his wing-backs would be Shaw and and Wan-Bissaka. So you'd you'd end up playing almost with five defenders. And I think the top sides, when they play through it at the back successfully, tend to do it with more attack-minded players. And I just think Dan James has got the profile for it. He's... As we know, incredibly quick, incredibly energetic. He's maybe not a natural goal scorer, as we mentioned earlier, compared to the likes of Greenwood and Rashford who are playing the wide roles. And I do think, you know, with reports that United are still looking to increase their options out wide, then there is a chance that he might have to be a little bit of a a versatile squad player. Um, And there's lots of players who have done that to to very useful effect in recent years as teams have started to play through at the back more. I mean, Victor Moses wouldn't have thought of himself as a wing-back but ended up playing that role for Chelsea in a title-winning side. So there is precedent for for players dropping back and and maybe proving more effective than they would be as, you know, just a pure super sub-winger. Harry's sponsors Zonal Marking, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Weighted ergonomic handle, check. Five precision-engineered blades, check. A rich, lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover as well. As a listener of Zonal Marking, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £3.95. Support this podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash zonal right now. That's harrys.com forward slash zonal. One of the most impressive United players since the restart has been Anthony Martial. He scored that lovely hat-trick against Sheffield United. 
not always trusted by previous managers to lead the line, to really be the number nine uh, in a Manchester United shirt. But Solskjaer's put faith in him. Uh, and Michael, do you feel like he is justifying that? Do you think he's good enough to lead the line for a team who, who will be hoping to challenge for titles in the next few years? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's still only 24. He's been at United for a while now, hasn't he? But he's still got room to develop. I mean, I've been really impressed with him throughout the season, actually. He's, he's now on for 15 league goals, so I don't think it's controversial to say he's had a good season. But even when his goal scoring stats were okay, there were a few games at the start of the season where I was really impressed with his, his work with his back to goal, which we don't really associate with him we think of him as going in behind using his speed and that kind of thing but actually I think his relationship with some of the other players is really good with Marcus Rashford I think down the left in that left channel he works very well so yeah his all-round game I think has really come on not just scoring goals which I think is always going to be an issue and always a demand if you play up front for Manchester United you're going to have to be getting close to 20 league goals if they're if they're going to win the title but yeah his all-round game has improved a lot so um, yeah I'm quite pleased with him I like Martial and probably has developed a little bit later than we expected in some ways. But yeah, with those extra elements to his game, I think he's becoming a really good all-round forward. Previously, Laurie, we would have seen Martial playing down the left and Rashford through the middle. Uh, now it seems to have flipped. Is this way around better, do you think? Is is this what we can expect now uh, going forward? Rashford down the left, Martial through the middle? I think so. It seems to work really well. And as Michael says, that, that their relationship down that left has, has produced an, a number of moments. I remember the Norwich game away in the Premier League where Rashford back heel and Martial's through on goal. Obviously the Sheffield United game. There's, there's been numerous times where they've each assisted the other. So they've got a really good understanding, I think. And that will only develop by the, the number of games that they play together, the consistency. Because prior to this, I don't think they'd actually play together perhaps all that often and certainly not for a run of games you know when you have Sanchez and Lukaku there it's, it's difficult to find space I suppose for both of them but I like what Solskjaer's done this season he gave Anthony Marshall his number nine shirt back which I know might sound a really trivial point but it was something that was taken off him to give to Zlatan Ibrahimovic and then to Lukaku and he was certainly upset about that if not for the fact that it's a kind of symbolic thing but also for the fact that it kind of meant that he was second string I suppose to, to those guys so whereas Solskjaer they've now gone and Solskjaer's given him the responsibility and certainly there's been times this season when there has been some frustration at the fact that he perhaps hasn't as Solskjaer described broke, broke a nose to try and score a goal um, or done the kind of physical stuff that we wouldn't necessarily associate with Martial but you'd probably need from a United centre forward but I think he is, he's getting there he's, he's learning that and you can't really argue with 20 goals in all competitions I think one or two penalties if that so yeah he's, he's, he's clearly adding that to his game and I just think that that relationship between the um, it makes sense you know that they're both highly technical very skillful very quick as you say so it makes sense for me to, to sort of to give them the, the faith in that role Solskjaer though has also said that United will be on the lookout for a striker you know at all times because United need quality strength in depth um, he mentioned you know his own career when you had Teddy Sheringham come in Wayne Rooney Rudan Nistelrooy so he, he knows that United are a team that need if they're going to be challenging for the title to have options on the bench and strikers sort of challenging each other so I don't think Marshall um, can sort of expect to have it all his own way in that role but equally he's, he's done really well with, with the chances that he's got and the burden of goal scoring for those two is lessened somewhat when you bring in a player like Bruno Fernandes who takes a lot of shots and scores a lot of goals uh, and also when you add a mercurial talent from the looks of things in Mason Greenwood who Laurie you've written about this week it was good timing after his performance in the last game I mean pretty much 
much and recognising a, a small sample size of just 31 shots so far. Um, in terms of shot conversion, uh, this is about as good as we've seen from a young player. It was kind of an idea that I'd had whilst watching him score at various points this season, just the, the fact that it doesn't even seem like there are chances when he scores, certainly when he picks the ball up at least. The, the Sheffield United one, it, which was his first Premier League goal from across a by Rashford, coming in the six-yard box, the only time that he's scored a, a big chance. He's had two other big chances that he's, he's missed or they've been saved. So the seven Premier League goals that he's scored have all been from pretty remote locations in terms of expected goals so I just there was something that I had as an idea and then when he scored again twice against Bournemouth from situations certainly the second one where you wouldn't necessarily class it as a goal I mean the the angle that he he hits the ball at but also the power was just you know I was in the stadium it's it's pretty breathtaking um, from from either foot the the power that he can get so I did a bit of digging and yeah it looked like according to Opto he's got the best ratio of expected goals to goals because you know I, I suppose Obama Yang I think has got more a higher leap from expected goals to the total number of goals but he's played more games so it's kind of gives a, a bit of an indication as to what Greenwood could potentially do in, in time if he sustains this um, Tom Warville who's uh, our stats guy and, and very astute on this kind of stuff was telling me that it's a small sample size and it probably will revert back to the norm he mentioned Timu Puki and then Tammy Abraham also early in the season had really good goals uh, for expected goal ratio but only 2.4 expected goals from, from Greenwood and he's got 8 now so I just think that kind of shows I personally think he can sustain that kind of maybe not that extreme ratio but certainly can outperform his expected goals frequently just because he's got that two-footedness he's got an extremely good balance and he's got great power in his shots and I did a piece sort of back in I think September time it was when I'd gone back to Bradford which is where he's from and spoke to people around um, him when he was a young kid and he was doing this kind of stuff on his front lawn he had like a little semicircle goal um, pinned in and he was like pinging in balls from all different kind of angles uh, when he was like six seven years old one of his former neighbours told me so listen I'm sure all footballers have got those kind of stories where they've been you know great as a kid and oh wow I was doing that as well and I'm (laughs) definitely (laughs) underperforming my XG overall (laughs) no I mean look you're you're spot on to mention the the overperformance and I am something of a of a follower of the the stats and analytics and, and would expect that to uh, fall somewhat but you're also absolutely right to point out that the ability to create his own shot uh, and the power and precision in his shooting with both feet stands out massively uh, and especially you know talking about United struggling to break teams down earlier in the season who were defending in a low block and keeping things very tight and organised that is a, a huge huge boon for this United side to have someone who, who can do that and therefore demands you know extra attention when he's on the ball. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. Let's move to the back of the pitch, to the defence uh, and, well, the, the big summer signing 
80 million pounds or thereabouts was Harry Maguire. Uh, Laurie, how have you rated Maguire's first campaign at Old Trafford? I think you have to rank it positively. I think obviously it's a massive fee and, and maybe, you know, we, we you know we could say that he's never perhaps going to be worth that, that kind of total really. But I think United were buying him for more than just what he does on the pitch. Clearly his attitude off the pitch is, is crucial to what Solskjaer was trying to achieve in terms of a culture around United. He had someone here who was very diligent in, in terms of his work and, and the kind of attitude that he has to football. And he obviously he's got the captain's armband now. So, I mean, for a debut season at Old Trafford, you can't really criticise. He's, he's played an awful lot as well he's always made himself available I think he's well he's played in every competition you know even when Solskjaer's rotated it Maguire's been the guy that he's kept going to and listen he, he clearly has had some moments uh, that, have, that have looked awkward the Spurs goal particularly Junior Stanislas giving him a nutmeg against Bournemouth another one but I think he, he does add a lot to United's side composure he can bring the ball out really well and that attitude as well I think shouldn't really be underestimated so I'd say good good first season for, for Maguire when you look look at other people and move into a club of the stature of United they, they've shrunk um, I think he's he's you know grown into it and, and steps up and Michael in order to reach the top of the table or to challenge for the title perhaps next season or or soon you're probably going to need partnerships at the back as well most top teams it's not just about one centre-back but the partnerships are there signs of improvement from from those around him or is this an area uh, that you would be looking to improve if you were in charge of United's recruitment I've grown to quite like Lindelof, I must say, having having initially not really understood what he was all about as a centre back. I think he's he's one of those players who, you know, when I've done analysis of a game and go through and look at it for a second time, he's always one who kind of stands out when I watch it again. He's he just does intelligent, subtle little things that maybe you don't always notice first time around. And I quite like the partnership with him and Maguire. I think it's two very different centre backs, which is usually the key to a a good partnership and I think with Lindelof he's lucky that he has such a good defender outside him in Wan-Bissaka their, their defensive record actually has to go back to the XG their XG defensively has been good throughout this season I mean usually the best or the second best in the league so yeah it's it's been pretty good at the back I think obviously the Maybe the question mark is what's been happening behind them in goal. <laughs> Absolutely. We we seem to love talking about goalkeepers on this pod. Uh, normally we're talking about, you know, the sort of challenges to Jordan Pickford's number one uh, England jersey. But in this case, we're talking about David De Gea, who uh, well, I've been led to believe is the highest paid player in the Premier League, which is something that hangs around his neck somewhat. And... Certainly, anecdotally, it, it seems like he's his powers in goal have waned somewhat uh, this season and maybe starting last season. Laurie, do you think it's fair to point out that he has worsened? Is there anything behind that supposed poor form? I think it's certainly fair to, to scrutinise him. As, as you say, he's very, very highly paid. Signed a, a massive contract last summer. Well, just a bit after last summer, actually, when he was clearly approaching his final year and United thought they could lose him for free. So the cost of you know replacing him, you know the, the transfer fee and wages they'd have to give to a new goalkeeper, let's let's give it to the guy we've, we've currently got. And I, I, you can't sort of forget the fact that he was United's player of the year for four years out of five, you know, the, the fantastic work that he's done. And maybe that's the standard by which we, we judge him, which I suppose is is a different standard than we might judge other goalkeepers. That being said, clearly there's been mistakes this season, probably for the last 18 months maybe, up to, tell me, uh, seven errors that have led to a Premier League goal since the start of last season. Um, and that doesn't actually include the one against Spurs, for example, where 
Stephen Bergwijn's shot goes through him. So, yeah, there's there's a few incidents that look awkward. I spoke to Eric Steele for a recent piece, who was the goalkeeping coach that brought him to United, scouted him for Atletico Madrid, uh, and may, and he's a big supporter of, of of De Gea. But there is an element that that maybe he hasn't been pushed massively for that number one jersey. So there's a a slight natural subconscious kind of element of of complacency. Maybe I'm hesitant to say complacency, but a, a natural drop off, I suppose, in your performance levels if you're not feeling like you're under threat from your position is there an element that you kind of feel a little bit more relaxed I suppose Sergio Romero is an excellent number two probably the best number two in the world when you look at his record and his his international caps for Argentina but I think there's always that feeling that De Gea is the number one which you know maybe that will change this summer if if Dean Henderson comes back uh, and yeah I know we want to get on to him so I'll leave that to you well any murmurs that Henderson might well be coming back to challenge for De Gea's spot to push De Gea a little bit more well, that's the decision now for Solskjaer. I'm told that there won't be any any call made until the end of the season when you know United know where they are. Sheffield United know where they are. Clearly, Sheffield United would love to take him on loan again for another season, but he's on a good wage at United already. Sheffield United are contributing the majority of that. Um, there's talk of potentially a new contract, and I guess if he was to sign a new contract, he might go out on loan one more time, and then next summer be brought back in to challenge for the number one spot. Eric Steele is certainly saying he wants Henderson back so that you've got two really good goalkeepers challenging for that position that, that could feasibly be the number one. I mean, you know, in terms of Henderson's age being only, only 23. But it is a different job being a goalkeeper for Manchester United than it is for Sheffield United. You're probably less likely to be um, under pressure as frequently as you are at Sheffield United. You know, the number of actions that you need per, you know, half or per, per game is probably um, less. So you've got to be attuned the concentration level cognitive um, work is obviously to the forefront than it would perhaps would be with Sheffield United and then also the scrutiny that you're under you know um, David De Gea every mistake he makes is reported widely you know Roy Keane combusts you know every, every time that something goes through his hands whereas with Dean Henderson you know you look at the goal that Harry Kane scored at Bramall Lane that got ruled out and, and you you know that might have been scrutinised if De Gea had, had let that in you know um, so and, and the goals at Newcastle perhaps so Dean Henderson's had a fantastic season he's, he's an absolutely quality goalkeeper but it's a, it's a slightly different step being Manchester United goalkeeper so it will be interesting to see what happens there You should hear some of Michael's post-pod analysis of my presenting when I've had a when I've had a <laughs> tough day at the office it's absolutely brutal um, <laughs> look we, 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 we prefer to focus on tactics and tactical trends but we with United, it's always interesting to talk about transfers. Never uh, a boring time in the United transfer rumour mill. Um, any insight that you can give us about what's looking likely to happen this summer, Laurie? Yeah, well, I've, I've done a piece. Uh, I think it'll be up by the time this podcast's out uh, on sort of United's approach to the transfer market. I mean, Jaden Sancho is the big one. You know, I, I don't think anyone can get away from that, that United want a right winger and he is a player that he wants to leave Dortmund. Dortmund are open to selling him this summer. It's basically going to come down to a fee if United can get a price that they feel is adequate um, for him and, and Dortmund likewise. So we'll see how that develops. There's perhaps uh, another, yeah, like I could say earlier, strikers, another uh, another position and, and left side of centre-half. I know we've been talking about Victor Lindelof just then, but there's a feeling that maybe a left-footed uh, centre-half would be useful you know, speed as well. Um, if if Marcus Rojo goes, um, but United need to balance the books as well. There's a number of players on the fringes of the squad that they could get some transfer value from. So I suppose it's up to Edward Wood and Matt Judge, the the chief um, negotiator, to to get the most 
from those players um, and then they can obviously use that to, to fund business elsewhere because it won't be a case of United you know signing off checks blindly you know coronavirus has affected them also obviously not to the same extent as other clubs I think they're pretty well incubated given the commercial revenues they can generate but at the same token they yeah they, they won't be sort of you know signing off blank checks as perhaps they have at some points in the past and Michael Based on what you've seen about the balance of this team and, and where United are strong and maybe less strong, how do you think they can improve things using the transfer market? Yeah, I think a bit more depth in attacking positions. They probably need at least one more attacker. Igalo hasn't done bad as a, as a plan B, but I think obviously that uh, that January window, they intended to get probably a slightly better forward and I think they will want to expand their options. But I think really a key thing as well is just familiarity between players I mean there's been a lot of chopping and changing at Manchester United over the last few years in terms of the personnel and I think what we're seeing for the first time is good relationships between players I really like the way Martial and Rashford work together I like the way that Matic is playing balls into Fernandes and I think this thing tends to come when players play together so I think Solskjaer you know for the first time is is naming an unchanged side regularly and uh from United's perspective, I think that should continue. Well, long may United's good form continue. Laurie, thank you so much for joining us and talking us through it. Cheers for having me. Thanks for making my debut. And Michael, always a pleasure to get your excellent insight as well. If you, the listener, would like to read all the good stuff, everything that Laurie and Michael are writing and so many more good football writers, The Athletic is the place to be. Of course, for US sports as well, you're covered with your subscription. If you would like to sign up today, you can get a 30-day free trial if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. So visit that link, get signed up and enjoy everything The Athletic has to offer. All of our podcasts are available for free on all pod platforms and there are plenty others where this comes from. Football cliches, for example, I would recommend listening to the Going Up, Going Down podcast as well. If the EFL is of any interest, Laurie's own Manchester United specific podcast which is flying off the shelves as United's form has improved talk of the devils search for that on all podcast platforms to hear Laurie and Carl Anker talk all things Manchester United every single week and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast because we'll be back again next week doing what we do best join us then on the zonal marking podcast brought to you by The Athletic